Tonight is going to be a little bit of a, um, maybe a not so deep of a, a lesson, uh, as tonight we're just going to remind ourselves about the love of God. That's a topic that we all need to hear from time to time. And uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of verses that you're probably familiar with. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, you want to get those out because we're going to look at quite a few. But uh, maybe uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8. Uh, before we begin the lesson, now this is probably a, a verse that you probably um, maybe not familiar with. It's not a verse that we would uh, ascribe to children for a memory verse or anything like that. Uh, but it's an interesting verse the, that we're going to kind of begin our lesson on this morning or this evening on the, the, the thought of the love of God. Are you familiar with a, a parapet? A, a parapet. Or maybe uh, an older way of saying it is a battlement. Uh, I wasn't really uh, until I was studying for this lesson. Uh, it wasn't a word that was in my daily vocabulary. But uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8, because it is a biblical word. Uh, this is the only time, that, at least in my translation, that it comes up in, in Scripture. But in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8, where, where Moses is listing uh, all of these just various different laws, uh, he's got this law that God wants the Israelite people to follow. And it says here, when you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof so that you will not bring blood guilt on your house if anyone falls from it. And so what we learned from this verse is that in ancient Israel, when uh, an Israelite uh, would build a home, they were required to build it with this parapet on top. Now, now don't think of their homes like our homes today. You know, they didn't have sort of those triangle uh, shaped uh, roofs, but their roofs would have been flat, right? And so if you think of a little child who would get up on that roof, uh, you would want something to protect him, right, from, from maybe falling off the edge. Oh, we don't have the microphone on. There we go. Okay. So um, hopefully you heard all of that. Uh, but again, this parapet, this, this, this barrier uh, that would help keep, uh, again, small children from falling off the, the roof or maybe somebody elderly. And, of course, to prevent such accidents, God required this barrier, right? Again, you might look at that verse and say, well, that's kind of interesting. Why is that in Scripture? But, again, it calls to God's love, looking out for his people. You know, barriers are common, aren't they? You go to any national park. And you might see a barrier along a cliff, right? Because they don't want you to fall over it. Or you go to a zoo, there are barriers between the different animals, right? And between you and the animals. And of course, uh, you know, when roads are flooded or under repair, they, they put those barriers up, right? To protect you. Well, God built this parapet of love around the human family, right? He, he has done everything that he could to protect us from falling off the earth into the lake of fire, right? He set a hedge around us. Uh, remember in the book of Job, how, how Satan said that, listen, uh, you know, you set a hedge around Job, right? Uh, and of course, this hedge or this cage uh, is not something that uh, we can escape from, right? You and I have that choice of whether we want to walk around it or step over it or, or whatever from that barrier, but it's there. You know, I love this quote, but someone said, if we end up in hell, we will have had to crawl over the love of God to get there, right? Because God's love is that strong and that great, and we would have to, you know, step over it, step around it to get away from it. 
I mentioned in a couple of devotionals ago, uh, we were looking at 1 John chapter 4, and I talked about, you know, really, we understand the theme of uh, that letter, you know, when you get into it, right? Especially in chapter 4, because you just read about the word love, love, love over and over again. Matter of fact, out of the 105 verses in that letter, 46 of them mentions the word love. Right. So almost 50 percent of those verses mentioned love. And so um, that's what I want us to remind ourselves this evening. Right. The the idea of this parapet of love right? that that God has uh, shielded his people with love, that he's made this barrier. And so we want to get talk about some of those characteristics within first John chapter four. And so uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 22, if you want to. Move along with me to 1 John chapter 4. Let's notice again some of these verses. Again, we read this uh, the other night. But let's notice that God's love is personal. In 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And I should have had you listen before I began reading that for all of the personal pronouns that, that the Apostle John uses in there. Let, let's read it again and, and notice how many times he ta- talks about we and he and us and his and ours. Again, in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, of course, we know John 3.16, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world. But God's love is also personal. Right? Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that Jesus loved me and he gave himself for me. And that includes you as well, that he loved you and he gave himself for you. A.W. Tozer, who was a, a scholar, and I'm going to quote a couple of his um, his quotes here this evening, but he said this. He said, the love of God is one of the greatest realities of the universe, a pillar upon which the hope of the world rests, but it's also personal, intimate thing too. God does not love populations. He loves people. He loves not masses, but men. You know, I was thinking about the, the earlier today, you know, and as, as a child growing up and watching football, I loved John Elway. He was my favorite quarterback. I don't know why. Maybe it was because of those orange jerseys that they wore. But I loved John Elway, right? He was my favorite quarterback. Denver Broncos was my favorite football team. Well, you know, I really couldn't tell you any other player that played on that team uh, other than John Elway, right? Because I loved him and he was my favorite quarterback. Friends, what we're trying to say tonight is God knows and loves every player on all of those teams in every season. There was a book called God's Crazy About You, and it illustrated the personal nature of God's love. And it made these great illustrations. It said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He could live anywhere in the universe, but he chose your heart. How intimate and personal is the love of God, you ask? Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10 real quickly. Matthew chapter 10. Notice here what Jesus says, starting in verse 29. Matthew 10, starting in verse 29, says, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear 
you are more valuable than many sparrows. You know, again, Jesus says, listen, there, there is no bird that will get hit by a car or get you know, swooped up by a cat that, without God noticing, right? Or the hairs on your head, right? He knows every single hair on your head. They say that the average person has about 100,000 follicles of hair on their head. Now, maybe it's a little bit less for, for some, but his love is that intimate. It's that personal, God knows and resides in the deepest parts of our hearts. Listen to this, Psalm 56, verse 8. Maybe this one is not one that we are as familiar with, but notice again that God knows every hair on our head. And notice what he also notices here in Psalm 56, verse 8. David writes, You have taken account of my wanderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God not only knows the number of hairs on our head, but he also knows the the number of steps we take. He also knows uh, our tears, right? He's a divine pedometer. You remember a couple of years ago when those were all the rage, those Fitbits? People, you know, my whole family had to have a Fitbit for Christmas. One of those things you wear around your wrist and counts the numbers of your steps. I don't see too many people wearing those anymore, but, but God is a divine pedometer, right? He, he numbers your steps. He is watching every single step you make. And David also says, you know, put my tears in your bottle, right? Remember my tears, keep them, keep them safe, treasure them as men might treasure costly liquids. And God will do that for each of us. And it's wonderful to know that our hearts, when they're heavy, when there is, there is the one who is never too busy to care, Right? Others may not notice when I'm going through heartache and stress and anxiety, but God does. God always does. Psalm 55, verse 22, he says, cast your burdens on him. Right? He shall sustain you. And then we recall in John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus says, you know, I am the good shepherd. Right? I know my sheep by name, uh, by sight. You know, I don't know if any of you grew up on, on a ranch or anything like that, a farm, but, you know, uh, just think of a young boy that grew up on a farm, right? We might pass by that farm and see just a field full of, you know, black Angus cows or something to that effect. But that boy who grew up on that farm, he sees that one and he knows when that one was born. Or, or he sees this one and he, he knows the day that they purchased that one from the cattle sale. Or he he sees this one and he knows to stay away from that one because that's the one that kicked him uh, last week, right? Someone once said, I think if our children knew how much we love them, they couldn't handle it. God loves us so much that he knows every hair on our head, that he knows every step we take, that, that he puts our tears in his bottle and remembers all of the heartache that we've gone through. And do we personally understand this evening in our day-to-day lives how much God loves us? If we we did, if we could, could we handle it? We we might feel embarrassed and unworthy when we go throughout our lives thinking about just how much he loves us and how much he's paying attention to us right now. But God, of course, he wants us to feel loved and embraced and wanted. But what is the most amazing is how A holy and perfect God can love sinful people so much. Again, God not only loves us, but he also wants us to call him father. He he wants us to be adopted into his family. He loves each one of us as if 
there were only one of us. You ever thought about that? That he loves us so much. Uh, he loves each of us as if there were only one of us, right? Parents with multiple children, you know, they're, uh, they're limited in the amount of time that they can spend with one child, the amount of energy they can spend with one child, the amount of money they can spend on one child. A child in a large family sometimes, you know, if you grew up in a large family, you know, have you ever thought to yourself, man, I wish I was an only child, you know, I wish I had all my parents' attention. Maybe you had the Jan Brady uh, sort of uh, effect where, you know, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Well, God has unlimited resources. He can treat each of his children as if they are an only child. God's love is personal. God's love is also perfecting. If you're in 1 John still, um, well, yeah, let, let's look at 1 John here, chapter 4, verse 12, and we'll notice... This verse that'll jump us off into this thought. God's love is perfecting. First John chapter 4, uh, verse 12 reads, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Well, let's think about that here this evening. God's love is perfected in us. God's love is perfect. I mean, that's the idea here. In Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12, uh, notice this. And I told you we we're going to look at a lot of uh, verses here this evening. Psalm 103, starting in verse 8. Hopefully you can keep up with me. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 8. This speaks to the perfection of God's love. Right? The, the psalmist here, David says in verse 8, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love kindness. David says his love has a long fuse. And in verse 9, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Right? God's love has a short memory. In verse 10, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Right? God's love has a thick skin. And then verse 11 and 12, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great in his loving kindness towards those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he has removed our transgressions from us. God's love has a big heart. Do you notice here in verse, I thought this was so interesting, in verse 11, or excuse me, verse 12, it says, as far as the east is from the west. Why did this, David use that terminology? Why did he say as far as the east is from the west instead of maybe from the north is to the south? Well, think of a globe, and this is how it was explained to me. If you think of a globe or, you know, if you just started walking north, you're eventually going to get to the North Pole, aren't you? And if you just keep going in that same direction, you're eventually going to come to the South Pole, right? Uh, there are those two locations, uh, the North Pole and the South Pole. But think of this. If you're uh, maybe on the equator and you're walking east... You know, of course, there's oceans there. I understand that. But if you're going straight due east, you're never going to reach west, are you? That's why we have North Pole, South Pole. We don't have an East Pole and West Pole, right? And so that's the idea here that, that God is saying that God's love can't be measured, right? Because as far as you go east, you're never going to catch up to it. You're going to try to go west, but you'll never meet that. God's love cannot be measured. Right? It's a perfecting type of love. And again, back in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, we're told that his love is perfected in us. I had somebody ask me the other day if they could explain sort of the, the, the idea of love in Scripture. 
You know that in our English translations, the word love is simply used. But in the Greek, there's really these three different words right, in the New Testament. And one of them is storge. Uh, the Greek word storge, which is only used a couple of times, and it, ta- it means you know, family affection. Right? So when the Bible uses that word, it's talking about uh, the family uh, type of love that you would have one another, for one another. And then uh, used a little bit more is this uh, phileo or phileia, this Greek word. And when, again, that, when that's translated in our English Bibles, it's simply love, but it means something different. And it's more of a brotherly love. It's more of a genuine affection, a heartfelt love, right? You, you get the word Philadelphia from that, right? Again, when we look at our Bibles, we just see the word love. But in, in the Greek language, it means uh, different things, right? Just like I may say this evening, uh, you might hear me say in one conversation, I love my wife. But then you might hear me talking to somebody else say, I love pizza, Right, well, you understand that you know, the love for one is way more than the other, right? But uh, without that deeper meaning uh, that the Greeks had, you know, we can understand, again, a better you know, what is being talked about here. Well, the noblest form of love, the word that's used often more than any other word, is the word agape, agape love. And that has to do with the mind. It's an intellectual Type of love. It's not that love that you know you might get in your intestines or uh, when you you know you see that special someone, right? But this is an intellectual type of love. This is a a form of love that has to do with the mind. It's deliberate. It's how we deliberately live, right? That we want the best interest for others. It's a selfless love for all mankind, right? Jesus said, "Love your enemies." That's the type of love that agape love is. Well, agape love always seeks to improve the object of its delight. Proverbs 17, or excuse me, 27 verse 17 talks about how iron sharpens iron. Right? That's a love for your friend uh, to, to sharpen one another. Good parents mold and mentor their offspring. You know, train up a child in the way he should go. Right? That's agape love. Spouses encouraging each other's strong points and shoring up each other's weak points and growing together. Right? Agape love. God's perfect perfects his love in us, and he wants what's best for us, according to John. There's probably some perfectionists here, I'm willing to bet. You know, there are a lot of people who are perfectionists in their job. Well, God's sort of a perfectionist, isn't he? Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us that we are his workmanship, right? Created to do good works. And throughout Scripture, you'll notice some of the, the prophets. Malachi 3, verse 3, describes God as a silversmith who is you know, perfectly trying to you know, refine us. Or in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, that God is this perfectionist type of potter who is molding us in clay. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, God is described as the groom's father. Right? And you remember how he wants the, the bride to be for his son? Well, he wants his, the bride, the church, to be absolutely beautiful on her wedding day. Right? Not having spot or wrinkle, uh, but holy and without blemish. And God's love perfects us. Again, A.W. Tozer said, With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? What do we lack? 
with the love of God. Another way to say it this evening is that God's love completes us. It completes us. Without it, we can never be complete. But with, but with it, you know, all those pieces fall into place. No, under, no other relationship in this world can complete us, can make us perfect. You think of that boyfriend or girlfriend in high school or, or, you know, that you really want to date or go out with. And you know, as a, you know, a teenager, you say, I just can't live without them. Well, you can. Uh, that, that's not going to perfect you. That love's not going to perfect you. Or, or you know, eventually one day getting a spouse, uh, having a house, having vehicles and, and vacations. Again, that's not going to perfect us. That's not going to complete us. You know, I, I might take some uh, slack from this from the mothers in the audience here the, this evening, but having a child, that doesn't complete us either. It's the love of God that completes us. It's God's love that completes us. He tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has, been, has truly been perfected. Chapter 4, verse 17, By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. And then verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Friends, God's love is personal, and God's love is perfecting. One more here this evening, and then the lesson will be yours. God's love is preserving. I had to keep up with the, the P uh, analogies here. But God's love is preserving. 1 John chapter 4, verse 14 tells us, We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. There was a story of a young boy out in West Texas who had fallen in into a, uh, a well, uh, during a rainstorm. And of course, the water was rushing into the well, and the father found him in the well. Uh, he couldn't reach him, and so he, he uh, told people to you know, go and get help, and he himself jumped into the well to help save uh, his son. And when they returned, the, the rain had stopped, it stopped rising, but the father had drowned. Uh, he, but he was holding on to his son, you know, in this position above his head as far as he could reach. And his grip was so tight, so strong that the rescuers had to pry the boy from him. Well, friends, that illustrates the, the love that God has for us, that preserving love that he has for us. Because when the waters of our sin were rising above our head, Jesus came to earth from heaven to rescue us. Only his hands weren't like this, but they were outstretched like this. Think of the greatest of divine love, right? Think of all of the love between husband and wives who ever lived, all the love between mothers and their, their babies that ever lived, all the love expressed in every single act of kindness that the world has ever seen, all the tears of love shed at any funeral from the beginning of time. Add those all together, multiply them by affinity, it still is not comparable to the love of God. From the vilest, most reprobate sinner who ever lived, it's still not comparable to the love that God feels. And I'm talking about you and I. See, God has not set this, again, this, this idea, this parapet of love around us because he doesn't trust us. But he did so because his love is so personal he loves each and every one of us here tonight. Again, he knows every hair on your head. He knows every step you have taken. He knows you by name. 
His love is perfecting. He wants to perfect you. He wants to complete you. And his love proves that it's preserving. He set that parapet of love, again, not because he doesn't trust us, but because God is love. That's another P we could have used this evening, that that he protects, that love protects. Because, friends, there might be a day that comes around where you and I, we might not be having our best day. Uh, we might, things might be going tough for us. And just like God gave this law to ancient Israel, th- this house law, and says, I want you to build this parapet uh, on your roof so that uh, nothing bad would ever happen. God says today, I want you today to know how much I love you. I gave you everything. I gave you my only begotten son. Isaiah chapter 53. The end uh, reading Isaiah chapter 53. Starting uh, in verse 4. Again, I think we know Isaiah 53 very well out of all the chapters in Isaiah. But in Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people? To whom the stroke was due. He gave everything. Prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before it would take place. That God would give everything. And then you drop down to verse 10 and it says. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. As the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He was pleased to do that. To send his only begotten son to come to this earth to die for you and I because he loves us because he loves us and he has done everything that he could and gave everything that he had for us yet unfortunately we know that there will be many who will who'll turn away from it Either this is too hard Jesus or, or many are just too busy for the love of God or many will just trample over it as the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews ten twenty nine. but this evening do you understand do you understand how much he loves you? I already quoted this this evening, but I think if our children knew how much we love them, they couldn't handle it. Well, the thought to think about tonight, I think if humans knew how much God loved each and every one of us, can we handle it? Can we handle that? And this evening, as we offer the invitation, if anyone this evening is... Um, Needing a prayer, needing of encouragement, needing the prayers for the, from the church. We'd love to pray for you this evening. Or this evening, uh, uh, maybe you're ready to become a child of God, to put Christ on in baptism. Again, we would love to assist you in that, for you to begin your walk as a Christian and to begin to learn about the love of God, right? This personal, perfecting, preserving love that only He can provide that completes us. And if this evening, if that's your desire, we want you to let us know uh, this evening. Don't wait. Don't wait till tomorrow uh, as together we stand and sing this song of encouragement.